Blog Talk Radio. Rise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. A new day has dawned. All over the earth, men and women are arising. It's time for the sons of God to awake. It is a day of justice, recompense. Restoration, revival, and resurrection power. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Vincent Xavier, pastor of New Wine Ministries. Great to be with you today. I know we're getting a little bit of a late start on Facebook and on YouTube, but trust everything is going good. Good morning. What a great day to be alive, to be living on planet Earth, to have the breath of life going through our lungs. We are animated beings, right? Uh, Animated in the sense that God breathed life into us, and we have life today. Now, for Rush Limbaugh, He passed away, most of you already know this, at 70 years of age. Rush Limbaugh, a champion for the conservative party and radio talk show host who has gained the admiration of millions of people around the world, multiplied millions of people around the world. He gave up his life yesterday or his life was taken from him yesterday because of lung cancer. And uh, we send our condolences to him. And to his family, we don't know Rush very well. He's a common household name for most Americans, no doubt about it. And either you loved him or you hated him kind of thing. And uh, it was interesting, CNN yesterday was talking about how Rush lived a very extravagant life and lived in a 24,000-square-foot home and made $85 million a year. And uh, it's interesting how people do that, isn't it? You know, they, they judge a person or look at a person about their wealth. Meanwhile, you have hosts in CNN that are from the Vanderbilt family that are probably worth a lot of money as well. Um, It's always something to degrade. It's always something to put down. Well, the bottom line is life is a gift, and as long as we're breathing, we should give every breath we have to serve God Almighty, to live for God Almighty. All that energy inside of us because of the breath of life 
Remember Hebrews chapter 1, he upholds all things by the power of his word or by the word of his power. <clears throat> and that life is in us. And that breath is in us. Activated. We've been animated. And I love that. I just love the fact that we're animated. We have billions of people animated all over the world. Unfortunately, a bunch of animated people are spiritually dead. And it's our job as the ecclesia who have been resurrected or awakened or quickened by the spirit of the living God through our faith in Jesus Christ to, to send the message of resurrection life to the creation. Because just because you're animated does not mean you have life. You are really among the spiritually dead. We were all dead in our trespasses and sins. Isn't that the truth? There was a time in your life and my life that we were dead. We were animated. We were breathing. We were going. We were doing. We were all this. But we were spiritually dead. And according to the gospel, we were on the wide road that leads to destruction. And we didn't even know it. We didn't even know we were spiritually dead to the things of God, our creator. God was a mystery to us. We had our own ideas and opinions about God. Aren't you glad that you came into contact with Jesus Christ and the gospel, the word of God that explains God to us? There's a revelation of God and, and, and the person of God and the ways of God in a book called the Bible. Aren't you glad that you've been quickened? And you woke up to a reality as a revivified being, according to Ephesians, that's the Greek, the revivified beings, not refried beings, but revivified beings. And as revived or resurrected or quickened beings, we awoke up to an awareness that, my God, I was on the wide road that was leading to destruction, and I didn't even know it. I'm awakened to a God that loves me and cares about me and has a plan for my life a God of purpose, that nothing is wasted, that everything matters to him. And, and it's just absolutely amazing. And somehow, because of my faith in his son and my crying out to him, I've been apprehended by God, brought into the eternal purpose of God. I mean, you may have a purpose for your day today. There's a reason why you do what you do. There's purpose behind your, your life. Imagine God having the ability to have an eternal purpose and that you're a part of God's eternal purpose? I mean, that's phenomenal. And so we have been revivified. We have been awakened. We have been resurrected. We have been quickened. We are no longer walking around uh, as the spiritually dead. I remember the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3 said that he wanted to know what it was to live in the out-resurrection from among the spiritually dead. And that's what Jesus was. He was the life-giving spirit. Let's hear it. He is a life-giving spirit. He imparted life to all who came to him. And when he imparted life to the walking dead, right, the spiritually dead, and he quickened them, they became alive. And you and I, because the spirit of truth is in us, we have this ability wherever we go to impart life. We are life-giving spirits. The Apostle Paul said, I want to know what it's like to be a life-giving spirit among the spiritually dead, and I want to have the ability to impart life like Jesus did, illumination, wisdom, understanding, light. Wow, what an amazing journey it really is to be alive. And when you hear about so many people dying and so many people leaving the planet, here's what we pretty much understand that whatever their vocation on earth was, either they're going to receive rewards for what they did as unto the Lord, 
or their life was a pure vanity because at the end of the life, if Rush, for example, was not born again and his name was not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, what does $85 million a year mean to him right now? Nothing. What does his 24,000-square-foot home and wherever he lived mean to him now? Nothing. Nothing matters. What does his marriage mean to him right now? Nothing. What about his children? Nothing. If he was not born again, if he did not have spiritual life in him, if his name had not been recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life, everything about his animated existence, even though he was a champion of the world, in many respects, it means nothing. So your hope and my hope is that someone like Rush would be saved. But shouldn't we possess that same desire for all creation? For it is not Father God's will that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. Isn't that God's heart? And there's a lot of bad, evil, wicked people in the world, right? Well, what about you and I? Were we bad, evil, wicked people? Yeah, but we weren't in the limelight of man's admiration. We were just little dweebs running around doing our own little thing, right? Well, bottom line, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we do want revelation. Now, there are those that love darkness so much, they hate the light. And they will not come to the light lest their deeds be reproved, right? We know that. That's the truth. And that's inescapable reality. There are evil, wicked men that hate God. They know, but they hate him. I'm not saying we should pray for that. I'm not saying that we should be pacifists and reach out and say, oh, God loves you and allow yourself to have the dogs tear you in pieces after they steal your pearls. Do not cast your pearls before swine. And discernment tells us who the swine are, right? Come on. And so, but here's the glory for right now, this moment, you and I are connecting. We're alive. We are alive. We are living and breathing. And for us, death should be an awesome inward uh, silah. You know, that because the reality for you and I who are born again, who have eternal life in us, there is no more death. We're never going to die. We may transition from this world to the, to the next or from these bodies to another. We're never going to die anymore. You and I have eternal life in us. And the, and the way that we become more comfortable with this understanding that we're not going to be here forever that we, like everybody else that leave the planet, we're going to go with the comfort in our hearts knowing that we have honored the Lord. Now, how people get to a place where, well, Lord, you know, we cast out demons, we healed the sick, we raised the dead, we did all these things in your name. Lord, Lord, open unto us. And he says, depart from me, worker of iniquity. I never knew you. I, you know, I don't want to be a part of that delusion. How about you? No, I want to humble myself today. I want to bow my knees before Jesus Christ. I want to lay myself out and say, I am nothing without you. And all I want to do is please you. And all I want to do is honor you. I don't need man's admiration. I don't need the respect of the whole world. Because what does it profit a man if he gained the whole world but loses his soul? And so, as my brother said this morning, you know, the, the big question is we hope, we hope that Rush Limbaugh has confessed Jesus Christ, bowed the knee to him, repented of his sins, confessed, and lived a life worthy of what is called a Christian. And so we should be thankful today, whether we are the smallest people on the planet, whether we live in a little tiny hut, whether we have very little, but what we do have, we honor God with it. We don't blame God. We're not angry at God. We're not, none, none of that is our reality, okay? So I'm just thanking God for life today. And, and what Jesus came to give you and I 
And all who believe is what? An abundant life, a life of quality. It's not an abundance of things. It is an abundance of an inner quality of joy and peace and love. How many of you want to know that? How many of you want to know about the life that gets inside of you and takes you to places that are absolutely marvelous within the kingdom of heaven? A quality of life, a healed life. We don't need to be living in sickness and disease, honestly. Obviously, 2,000 years ago, the Lord Jesus Christ gave his life so that we could live. He said, by his stripes, we are healed. And I'm not one of those bravado preachers that says everybody should be walking around and healing, and if you're not, shame on you. I just know that healing is available. I know that God could heal your ears. I know that God could heal your eyes. I know that God could take sickness and disease out of your body. I know that God can do anything. He could raise the, from the dead. There's nothing that he cannot do, but there are, the only time he cannot do he said we, he could not do many miracles because they, of their unbelief. So I happen to believe that unbelief is a real sin in the sense that it, it prevents God from doing what God can do. And I think anytime we limit God in any area of our lives, we're really sinning against ourselves and we're telling God, you can't do this. And so that's unbelief. And I think God hates unbelief. As a matter of fact, in Hebrews chapter four, the entire nation of Israel that came out of Egypt could not go into the promised land that God had for them because of their unbelief. And so I do believe in faith. I believe that faith does move mountains. I believe that by faith we could say to this tree, be thou uprooted and cast into the sea and it will obey us. But what I also admit is I haven't come to a full, complete apprehension of how this works. Have I seen people get healed in my presence? Yes. In the very presence of God, I have seen brethren gather together, lay hands on people, and see them get healed. So I know healing is miraculous. Every time I get sick, I go to my wife, Patricia, and I say, I'm not feeling well. Would you pray for me? And I get healed. I don't go to prescription drugs. I've never had prescription drugs. Thank you, Jesus. So it, it's, it's prayer. I believe in prayer. And I want you to believe in prayer. But where we're going we need to experience the abundance of life. We need to have joy. You know, you could call yourself a Christian all day long and never know the joy of the Lord. There may be things interfering in your life, depression, past events. That's why at New Wine Ministries, we are involved in rolling away the reproach of the past sins and allowing forgiveness to come and remove and utterly abolish everything and anything that is an altar to the satanic powers where they could come and mess with us. So if, we, if the blood of Christ removes everything we've ever done and we receive forgiveness and we forgive, well, praise God, we could walk in the newness of life. And that's Romans chapter 6. We're all called to a newness of life. And I don't know about you, but the, the day is coming that the argument is going to end, and I'm going to do a little arguing today, for the cause of truth, I believe, the word of God. So let us gather together and begin to explore the moment that we're in right now. And we're going to argue. That's all there is to it. But the argument is intended not to condemn, but to convict. And if there is conviction necessary in, in this direction, then so be it. Let it rip. Let light come forth. Let truth prevail in all of our lives. Amen. So just the joy of living and 
for those who are born again and have died. For example, if Rush Limbaugh, his name was in the book of life, he served the Lord, he had a, he had a public faith, and his family knows that he was, a, he was a Christian man. The family should not sorrow like the people of the world that have no hope in the resurrection. The family and friends of Rush Limbaugh should be rejoicing, knowing that when the Lord returns and the trumpet sounds, the dead will rise, and he will be part of that resurrection. And everybody will see each other in the family reunion in heaven in the days ahead. So keep your focus, and maybe it's not Rush Limbaugh, maybe somebody you know. I know a young man by the name of David right now in San Diego that's having a tumor the size of a lemon being removed from his brain. And we need to pray for David right now. I know that there are people that are suffering in their marriages, people suffering in their relationships, people suffering with sickness and disease. And we need to intercede and pray for miraculous power of God to be manifested in their lives. And there are people around you maybe that have died. I've talked to people here, a young man whose father had just passed away six or seven months ago. How are you dealing with that? Uh, um, uh, wives whose husbands have passed away, husbands whose wives have passed away, their children have died in car accidents. How are you dealing with that? Are we blaming God? Or are we, what are we doing with this information? Okay, we're watching this experience. If we trust God and we know that the ones that have passed love the Lord, then we could be at peace. We can rejoice. We will see them again. And I like one of the, the lines in the movie, The Gladiator, which we saw years ago. Well, they... They will not come back, his loved wife and son. They will not come to us, but we will go to you. And we are. We're all going in that place. Aren't you glad you're born again? Your name is in the Lamb's book of life. And you're not living in a manner that it could be erased. Your name is securely written in the Lamb's book of life. So hold to the course. Keep the faith. Grow in faith. Grow in love. Let hope inspire you. You don't need anything in this world to give you hope. Jesus is your hope. And again, I'm going to say it. Don't conform to men's ideas. Don't conform to anything in a group. Conform to Jesus Christ. That's it, saints. Conform to Jesus Christ. Amen? So I'm going to get into a bit of a biblical argument today, and I'm doing it because of some things I heard through the evening. Okay, and I'm going to I'm going to say names, um, but not in the sense of pointing a finger. Okay, not trying to elevate myself by putting someone else down. I had a very intimate conversation with my brother this morning and I said, am am I in the wrong place or where am I? And we came away with an assurance that this is okay to say what we're saying, because um, I think one of the worst things a person can do is to isolate themselves insulate themselves from everything going on around them and just think that somehow by being isolated, insulated, you know, I'm okay. I, I don't believe in that. I, I, I just don't believe that. But at the same time, if the crowd is moving in a direction and the Holy Spirit is convicting you, that's not the direction you need to be going in. And you go in another direction and you happen to be alone or there's just a few. Well, that's okay. Okay but not just personal isolation, uh, shutting everybody's ideas out, shutting everybody's wisdom out, shutting things out because it doesn't agree with me. I don't believe in that. But I do believe that we have to be very careful 
about what we're hearing. And I'm going to give you um, an idea. And I'll, I'll start this way. <clears throat> the first video, and then I want to get into the word. The first video that I saw last night was by Mario Murillo. Now, let me tell you something about Mario Murillo. Mario Murillo is an evangelist I saw 30-some-odd years ago. And I like Mario, the evangelist. Mario came to Northwest Arkansas at, at my request. I invited him. I searched him out. I interviewed Mario Murillo on my radio broadcast at Kerm Radio several times. I invited Mario Murillo to Northwest Arkansas. My brother in the Lord uh, told me exactly what church we could utilize. So I called the pastor of that church. It was a big church. He opened the door. And I invited Mario Murillo to come and be in our area. And Mario came, he and another brother, and they ministered for a few days, and that was it. We had a good time, talked on the phone again. I like Mario Murillo. But last night, a video came out by Mario. It was an urgent video. And, and I, I really do wish Mario was listening right now, but, you know, all these men and women that are on these programs, are, we're all saying what we need to say, right? But I love my brother. I want you to know that. Because I'm going to share another video concerning David Wilkerson in just a moment, a man that I met at, at, at Times Square Church, shook his hand. Brother Michael, another pastor in our church, he heard David Wilkerson prophesy over my life. So I love Pastor Dave, right? And I'll talk about this in just a moment. But what Mario said in his video in the first five to seven minutes, over and over and over again. He was really establishing and making a point. He, he was talking about what Satan is doing to America. What Satan is doing to America. And after a while, I had to shut it down. And again, I don't want to isolate. I don't want to insulate. I want to understand. Because I do not believe biblically that Satan is doing anything to America other than executing a judgment that's written against it. Well, wait, the saints are to execute judgment, and they are in their own way. But I also believe that an individual's sin opens the door to Satan to come in and disrupt their lives. I believe that about a nation as well. And I believe that it's not Satan that he's doing something to America. I believe America's sin has opened a door to Satan, but it's God's judgment. I believe that America is under judgment, and this is not the first time I'm saying this. I've been saying this for a long time with other men and women of God as well. So when I look through the Bible at what's going on in our country and around the world, but we live here in this nation, I see God's judgment, the same judgment that God meted out against Israel in the day of Israel's sin when they turned their back on God and worshiped idols and committed fornication and did all kinds of evil. Well, America, the nation that was twice called a Christian nation by the Supreme Court of the United States, has sinned in our generation grievously. We've always sinned, don't get me wrong. But the grievous rebellion, blasphemy, witchcraft, hatred against the laws of God and God's, the nature of God have been obvious. 
America has sinned against the Lord. And we could go down and God tells us, prophet, cry out and tell the people. I'll give you an example. In his, in, I'll do it later. Where God just tells all the prophets, I want you to declare the sins to the people. Tell them their sins. And God brings forth what they've done. You know what we've done. We have sponsored abortion where we have, through Planned Parenthood, the taxpayer dollars of the American people have been used to slaughter over, who knows, 600, 750 million babies around the world. That's nearing a billion just through abortion. We know at home we're way over the 90 million mark at this point, but we'll just keep saying 90 million. They've been saying 50 million for 20 years. And so we just know that innocent blood is being shed in our land because the Supreme Court of the United States ruled in 1972 in Roe versus Wade. In 1973, the door opened, and there's been mass murder of innocent blood ever since. They now use body parts, full-term abortion. They kill the babies when they're breathing. They, the, the brutal act of sucking the brain out of the baby when it's in the mother's womb, collapsing the brain, pulling the baby out, it's so sickening in the eyes of God. You've got to see this from God's perspective. You know, the young boy and the young girl that are fornicating and she gets pregnant and I don't want the baby. I'm only 16. Well, let's go and have an abortion. You know, that's about as far as it goes for their thinking mechanism. But from God's perspective, it's a totally different thing. Okay, because God knew before you were formed, Jeremiah, I knew you. And before you came forth out of the womb, I ordained you to be a prophet. So God sees the unformed fetus, wherever life is in the blood, so the blood cell tissue of a fetus, that's life. And when that's murdered, it's murder, and that's the most innocent blood ever. So we know that that in and of itself, left by itself alone, is enough to draw the wrath of God upon anybody or upon any nation. But it doesn't stop there in America. America has become so perverse because coming into this generation, pornography began to sweep our nation. Pedophiles like Alfred Kinsey, we've talked about it many times, have promoted this licentious debauchery, this depravity and perversion within our nation. And it came out nice and subtly with Playboy magazine. And one of Alfred Kinsey's uh, students, which was Hugh Hefner, and he created the whole Playboy magazine thing and then came in uh, all the other ones, whatever they are, the magazines, and, and everybody started pushing their pornography and the floodgates were open and pornography flooded through this nation, affecting the psychology of the people, but it didn't stop there. It wasn't just young boys looking at Playboy magazines and et cetera, et cetera. The, the narrative in the mind of man was being written, and it was such a perverse thing, sexually uh, and sensually uh, being written in the soul, but it didn't stop there with the little boy finding his, his dad's Playboy magazine and showing his friends. It didn't stop there. Those were the downloads. That's where the demonic begin to enter in to the life of a little boy or a little girl. And that's where sensuality and sexuality, and then came the rape or the fornication and the sexual desire of prematurely growing. Well, it didn't stop there, which is pornography. Then it came to the idea of homosexuality, where now all of a sudden men were beginning to have affections for men. A perverse spirit entered into the land. And all these doors were being opened along the way. Alfred Kinsey's pedophilia, homosexual ways. And you can go down to Carnegie. You can go down to Rhodes, Cecil B. Rhodes, the, the president of the Rhodes Scholar. And I want to talk about him because history and Rodney Howard Brown has written a book called The Death of Uncle Sam. And he, he, he details thousands of detailed information about this reality I'm telling you or I wouldn't tell you. 
But Cecil B. Rhodes, he had all the gold mines and the diamond mines in South Africa. He was the wealthiest man on the face of the earth. He and John D. Rockefeller and uh, the Rothschilds and all these different groups came together. And these men were clearly pedophiles and homosexuals. My point is that spirit has been around for a very long time, but it was restrained by the laws of our nation. There used to be laws protecting our country against abortion. There used to be laws protecting our country against uh, pornography. It was against the law. There were laws protecting the country from homosexuality, lesbianism, et cetera, et cetera. But the restraint of God's holy laws has been taken down. Now today, you know and I know that homosexuality, lesbianism, transgenderism, all these different sexual perverse isms are now wide out in the open. So the laws that once protected the psychology of our nation are gone, and the wicked, evil rulers in Washington, D.C., and all the people pushing their support and to promote this blasphemy and this abomination, and by pulling down what is right, they promoted what is wrong. And now, here in the year 2021, we're all living in the context of this soup of this muck and mire of abomination and blasphemy and witchcraft and evil and all this garbage that's going on, and we're all living in it, and people are trying to swim, keeping their head above the waters. That's all there is to it. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, the veil on your mind is absolutely darkened and heavy. But that veil is upon a lot of Christian people's minds as well. And that's why when someone like our brother Mario comes out and says, Satan's doing something to America. No, Americans capitulated and yielded, and our leaders of our nation lowered the standard, pulled down righteousness, promoted evil, knowingly America has sinned. That's the point. America has sinned grossly against the Lord. Now we have numbers that are exponential in the realm of divorce, because of this sexuality, because of pornography, the abortion rate soared, but uh, uh, adultery soared. Come on. And through adultery and through all these different things, marriages ended up in divorce, leaving children without fathers and mothers in the same home. They became the latchkey kids. So we have this pattern. We have this realistic pattern that we could follow to see what happens, and we think the devil's doing something to us. And I want to say to my brother, no, it's not the devil. We are now a nation under judgment, and that judgment always begins with the idea. When God sends judgment, it's a crisis, and it's always intended to turn the nation back to God. We know that. I mean, if you're a kid and you're stealing something at the store and you get caught, your parents will give you a spanking to tell you never do that again. And if you keep doing it, you get more spankings, but eventually what happens? The heart becomes hard. There's no longer, Isaiah chapter 1 is very clear. What's the point of me reproving you anymore? You're only going to rebel more and more. And so when the heart becomes that hard, God begins now to turn the people not over to judgment, but he turns them over to wrath. Okay? So there's this, this, this theme. And for any Christian right now to not recognize that it's not just homosexuality in the world. It's not just lesbianism in the world. It's not just pedophilia in the world. 
It's not just porno, uh, pornography in the world. It's not just abortion in the world. It's not just adultery in the world. It's not just divorce in the world. It has come into the church. And our churches, because they've opened the door to these things, have become schizophrenic. 30, who knows how many different denominations and directions are going on in the church, but if there's ever been a crack in the wall of something called the church, it's there. Okay, and this is all a result of the church not standing as a wall against the evil. The church was called by God to be a wall. Now, if the preachers, the prophets, the ministers are whitewashing the cracked, broken wall, the church, by telling them things that are not true and never really calling to the church to a humble repentance, how could we ever really become that strong wall again? I'm going to talk about it in just a moment. God calls his prophets to build a wall. The church was to be, the ecclesia was to be, a wall within our nation. And when the evil was coming in, we should have been a restrainer. But we did not restrain. The ecclesia did not restrain. It stopped restraining. Why? Because they were offered a big stage and limelight and success and prosperity. So we stopped telling the, the ills that were going on. We, we just went silent. And we promoted prosperity and your best life now and all these different things. Meanwhile, the flood of iniquity poured into the church, and we lightly dealt with it. We did not have a penetrating word. There was nothing that entered into the heart of men that would create repentance. Are we on the right track? Are we talking here? We're, we're okay, right? So Mario Murillo is suggesting that Satan is doing something to America, and now what we, the church, need to do to you know, the good guys, we have to go out against Satan. And I just don't think that's right. I don't believe that's right. I believe that God has become the enemy of America. According to this Bible, when Israel sinned, which isn't even near what we've done, but when Israel has sinned, God became their enemy. God became their enemy. And God allowed the Assyrians and the Babylonians, the devil worshipers, to come into their society and wreak havoc. But it's like standing back saying, okay, uh, the, the Babylonians are here and they're the problem. No, they're not the problem. They're the source of judgment against you because the problem is with you. And not until we admit that can we ever really begin to build a wall around this nation. A physical wall down at the border isn't going to do a thing. For anybody, we know that. I mean, it, it spoke volumes of, of our independent, sovereign nationality, but that doesn't solve a problem. I've shared with you over 30 years ago, I had a vision of a, uh, a wall around the United States, a military power to protect us from the evil from without. And then God took me within, and I was in a church in L.A. in the spirit, and I saw the corruption and the decay and the rot going on from within our nation. So a wall to protect from without isn't the problem. It's what's going on inside the nation. And now our nation is filled with socialists and communists and pedophiles and homosexuals and evil people. I mean, it's just what it is, promoters of evil. So we have to understand it properly. We have to understand it properly. 
let me just move on. The video I heard after that, I shut that off. I said, God, there's got to be someone I could listen to because I want to be fed. I want to learn. I want to grow. So there was, I was scrolling through YouTube, and I saw David Wilkerson. And it was something about uh, do not eat with the, dr- the drunkards and the gluttons. And I thought, okay, this is going to be a good message, a convicting message. But Pastor David, in that time in his life, was preaching and saying, Jesus could come at any moment, and we should always have this expectancy, and he could come at any moment. There's nothing holding him back. And I thought, no, that's not true. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 says that day, his second coming, which Pastor Dave was talking about, cannot come until the apostasy and the man of sin be revealed. So he was preaching imminency. Any moment, we should have this expectancy because nothing's there to stop him. He could come at any time. And yet the Bible says he can't come until these things happen. And that is the revelation or the manifestation of the man of sin, the Antichrist. So, and again, I thought, I don't want to isolate. I don't want to insulate. I want to say everybody's wrong. I'm right. God forbid, right? But I am hearing and seeing things that, I just am going, wait, that's not, that's not the truth. That's not the truth. And if I spoke in error, I want someone to tell me. I want someone to grab me and say to me, what you just said is not true. And I am surrounded by people that are willing to do that with me. I mean, they hold me accountable, and they should do it, regardless of how I respond. Tell me the truth, because eventually my heart's open to the truth, and I want to know the truth. Other prophets out there are saying a lot of things about, you know, the, the success that's coming. And, and I told you yesterday, they're preaching more about the second coming of Trump than they are the second coming of Christ and how to prepare people for that. So what I would like to do, I want to go back because this is the scripture I got. And it's in Ezekiel chapter 13. And I want to read it one more time. And um, let's go for it. Praise the Lord. Ezekiel chapter 13, verse 1. And I'm just going to read it out of here because I can get some definition with it. The word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel that prophesy, and say thou unto them that prophesy out of their own hearts, Hear ye the word of the Lord. Now, first of all, I want you to notice something. See, I believe in the prophets. I know that God spoke in time past of the prophets and, and, and by the law. In these last days, it's spoken us by Jesus. But we're also told by the apostles we should learn from what the prophets have spoken in times past. I'm under the impression, and I don't know if you guys agree with this or not, I believe that if Jeremiah, Ezekiel, or Isaiah, the three, these, these three just alone, let alone all the rest, But if Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah came to America today, I believe they would have a message for us. I believe that. And I believe their message would flow as rivers and streams into the ocean of Christ himself and his prophetic utterance and the book of Revelation. So the first thing I notice about Ezekiel 13, verses 1 and 2, is that there are prophets. It it gives me the idea there's a group of prophets, and then there's a prophet, Ezekiel. And I don't believe Ezekiel was the only prophet. He may have been. I don't know if Jeremiah was the 
only prophet, but he may have been. But I believe they had contemporary prophets around them. So, but they seem to be fewer than this group of prophets. And what were the group of prophets doing? The group of prophets were prophesying, foretelling events to come, but it wasn't from the Lord. It wasn't from God. It was coming out of their own hearts. And that's why I'm rather critical, and I think you should be critical towards me as well. I'm rather critical because I can't, I don't want to be deceived. I don't want to be misled. I don't want to believe something that's not true. Okay? And neither do you. And that's why we should be critical in our thinking. There's no doubt about it. So I'm saying don't conform to any man's idea. Read it and conform to Christ and Christ alone. So God tells Ezekiel, prophesy against the prophets. Verse 13, thus saith the Lord God, woe unto the foolish prophets that follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. Okay, let's look at the word foolish just for a moment. What does it mean to be a foolish prophet? Well, the word is Nabal or Nabal, Nabal. And that word there means stupid, wicked, impious, okay? So he's speaking to the prophets, foolish prophets, and God says, woe to them. Woe to the foolish prophets that follow their own spirit. I'd like to see what that is referring to there, because I kind of know it's about the reasoning, the faculty, the mind, the the, the, the thoughts of the, their own heart. And here the definition of that is, uh, it's the ruach, uh, yeah, their, their own resemblance of breath, the wind. Um, so there, it's their own function, their own mental faculty, their imagination, their thinking, okay? And so this is a problem, wouldn't you say? I mean, a prophet is supposed to speak nothing but God's message, not their own. They have no agenda in the issue. They have no personal motive in the issue. And that is, that's a very powerful razor's edge thing. So in verse 4, we read these words, O Israel. So he wants him to speak these words, O Israel. And I'm going to say it, O America, O America. Okay, the, the word of the Lord, dual prophecy. O America. Your prophets are like the foxes in the deserts. Your prophets, the plurality, are like the foxes in the deserts. You have not gone up into the gaps, neither made up the hedge for the house of Israel to stand in the battle in the day of the Lord. Now, I want to read this out of my Gideon Bible. I have the Gideon Bible. And verse 5 is very powerful. It says this, you have not gone up into the gaps to build a wall for the house of Israel to stand in battle on the day of the Lord. So you haven't gone up into the gaps. So here the word gaps, by the way, let's see what it says. It's the peris, okay, the peris, and that word simply means uh, a break, a breach, okay, a gap. So in other words, 
there's something broken in the wall. And the prophets have not gone up to where the breaches are, to where the gaps are, and fixed it. What they've done, let's go on, what it says in verse uh, 5 again, you have not gone up into the gaps where the breaches are, where the breaks are, where the cracks are, okay, and made up the hedge or the wall. You haven't built a wall for the house of Israel, for America. You haven't done this, prophets of God. What, what, are you, what are you doing now? What are all these prophets doing? What are all these inspired speakers speaking? What are they all saying? What are they prophesying? Well, verse 6 says, they have seen vanity and lying divination, saying, the Lord saith, and the Lord has not sent them. And they have made others to hope that they would confirm the word. So in other words, what the lying prophets are saying, what God's telling Ezekiel to tell them, I haven't spoken to you. I haven't shown you the things that you're telling everybody. You want everybody to hope that you're right so it will confirm your word and that you'll be somebody. That's what basically is being said, okay? You just are, are convincing people to believe that what you're saying is from God so that they'll, and all the people will confirm the word. That's not good. It says here in verse 7, Have you not seen a vain vision? And have you not spoken a lying divination? Whereas you say, the Lord saith it, albeit I have not spoken. So let's put it in context. The prophets are speaking in the days of Israel. Israel was in shambles. It was a mess. And the prophets were speaking a vision of everything's going to be okay. You'll see in a moment what they were speaking. And all the people were hoping that what the prophets were saying was going to be true, but they weren't really going into the gaps and discovering what the real problems were. Okay? Verse 8 says it this way. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, God, because you have spoken vanity and seen lies, therefore, behold, I am against you saith the Lord God. Consider the weight of that. God's telling his prophet, Ezekiel, I'm against the prophecy. I don't need to be a prophet. That's not, I just want to dismiss that right now. Ezekiel's the prophet. I'm allowing, I'm just reading Ezekiel. I want the spirit of Ezekiel, like the spirit of Elijah that was in John the Baptist. I'm just saying, Ezekiel, God's telling Ezekiel, go tell the prophets of America I'm against them, who are divining lies, seeing vanity, and putting a false hope in people's hearts. Okay. I'm against you. Not the Babylonians aren't against you. I'm against you. Verse 9, and my hand shall be upon the prophets that see vanity and that divine lies. Let's look at the word vanity just for a moment. The word vanity keeps coming up again. It's the sob, all right? So let's go on down and take a look at the word vanity. Every, all the prophets are seeing sav or sov. And what does it mean? It means it's the sense of desolating or evil, literally ruin, morally, guile, 
uselessness, deception, vanity, the shock. So what the prophets are prophesying is useless in the economy of God because it's not really what's going on. And yet when you have a whole bunch of them would have reputation and name and they're all saying the same thing, the people are hoping that what they're saying is true. They've got to be the real deal. But God has got something else to say. Watch this. Verse 9, my hand shall be upon the prophets that see vanity, the divine lies. They shall not be in the assembly of my people. Neither shall they be written in the writing of the house of Israel. Neither shall they enter into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord God. And here's what's going on, verse 10. Because, even because they have seduced my people, saying, peace. And there was no peace. One built up a wall, and lo, others daubed it with untempered mortar. What does that mean? Well, the false prophets are building a wall so that people think they're secure behind it. The wall represents security. But it's so broken, so they just put whitewash on it. They covered all the cracks. They covered the reality. And, they saw, and so they directed the people to look at the whitewash. Look at that wall. There's a wall. We built you a wall. Peace, safety, everything's going to be all right. But the people aren't seen beyond the whitewash to the reality. And so they have a false security in their hearts and in their minds, a false sense of security. They're being led to hope in things that have nothing to do with God's heart. He says in verse 11, Say unto them which daub it with untempered mortar, that it shall fall. There shall be an overflowing shower, and you, O great hailstones, shall fall, and a stormy wind shall rend it. Ezekiel is telling the prophets of America today, what you're doing is putting false hope in people's minds rather than going into the gaps, dealing with the real problems, and getting the church really ready for what's coming. You have them in a false sense of security, believing a lie, believing divination and vanity. You're seducing the people of God. What does that word seduce mean? Why don't we go back there? And he says, you have seduced them. And that it's in verse 10, because you have seduced my people. Notice something, saints of God, we can be seduced. Even the very elect of God can be deceived, right? It, the word seduce means to wander or to lead astray. Lead astray. Well, how would that work today? The prophets that are preaching the second coming of Donald Trump rather than the second coming of Jesus Christ. Why is it important to preach the second coming of Jesus Christ? Because what's going to happen before he comes? The one world government, antichrist, great tribulation, persecution is coming. But when you're telling people vanity, lies, divination, seducing them, 
You're not equipping them and preparing them and getting the word of God into their own cracks and bringing healing, restoration, and wholeness. You're just trying to make it a, an earthly thing. Meanwhile, we're, we're slaughtering innocent babies, and we're, and we're sinning like crazy. How can prophets prophesy peace at a time like this? Okay, so we go on down a little bit further and say unto them, I'll go back to verse 11, say unto them which daub it with untempered mortar that it shall fall. This false security that you're preaching isn't going to stand. There'll be an overflowing shower. And you, O great hailstones, shall fall and a stormy wind shall rend it. Verse 12, lo, when the wall is fallen, In other words, when everybody wakes up to the reality that what they've said isn't true, when the wall has fallen, shall it not be said unto you, where's the daubing? Wherewith you have daubed it. Hey, whoa, 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 where's the whitewash? We were looking at whitewash. You made us to believe that everything was okay. You made us to believe that this strong wall was real. We, you, we saw the whitewash. It was a beautiful wall. It looked really good. We heard your words. We heard the daubing. But where is it now? The wall's fallen. Verse 13, therefore thus saith the Lord, God, I will even rend it with a stormy wind in my fury. And there shall be an overwhelming shower in my anger, and great hailstones in my fury to consume it. Who's angry here? God is angry. I want to ask you a question. If we go back to the days of Ezekiel writing this prophecy, God is with him. God knows Ezekiel. He knows his heart. He's with him. He's apprehended him. And there are a bunch of other prophets in Israel. These are Israel's prophets. Do you think, you know, that maybe they thought God was with them? Do you think maybe they had an emotional tie to God, thinking that I'm God's favorite and God loves me and God is for me and I'm speaking the word of the Lord? And do you think maybe they thought that they were okay? And when they heard Ezekiel, they probably got really angry at him, like the prophets in the days of Jeremiah or Isaiah. They hated those guys. The prophets of Israel hated them. They didn't like their words. Do you think maybe today God knows the prophets in America and maybe he likes them? Hold on one second, please. I have to do a radio broadcast. Let's come back in a little bit. Maybe about 30 minutes. Thank you. All right. Sorry about that. So um, where was I? Let's go back now to verse 14. I was asking, do you think God knows all the prophets that are out there. Yes. Do you think the prophets today believe that they have an emotional connection to God, that they're really God's man or God's woman, and that they have all these ideas and thoughts and imaginations and, you know, it's all connected to God, but is it possible that it's really not God? I guess if you went back and you asked the prophets of old in the days of Ezekiel, did you guys really think what you were saying was from God? Or were you absolutely, you know, just being evil, purposely lying? Or did you really think that maybe 
you had a connection. And I would venture to say that most would say, well, I really thought I had a, a connection. But look what's happening. Verse 14. So will I break down the wall that you have daubed with untempered mortar and bring it down to the ground so that the foundation thereof shall be discovered and it shall fall and you shall be consumed in the midst thereof and you shall know that I am the Lord. Who's fighting against, you know, what's the problem? First of all, the problem in Ezekiel's day was the nation of Israel was in shambles. It was a mess. And the prophets are only prophesying what's going to be. I mean, it's a nightmare scenario, grievous sin being committed throughout the entire land. But the prophets are saying the future. So what is the future? Is America coming back to American greatness? Donald Trump's coming back to power to save the day? Or have we just taken a giant leap? into and towards the greatest tribulation to ever hit the face of the earth. It's one or the other. And the group of prophets, the majority are saying, Trump's coming back, two terms, America will be great. It's the devil that's harassing us. First sign that you should get in your mind is when somebody says, this is all the devil doing this. Immediately, your red flag should go up and say, wait a second, whoa, 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 this isn't the devil. This is God's anger. This is God's wrath. This is God's judgment. And he may use the devil and release the devil, but it's not the devil that's the problem. Our problem is not with the devil. It's with God. And church, our problem is not with the devil. It's with God. And only a holy people, a sanctified people, will ever be able to stand in the gap. Now, Let's go on just a little bit. In verse 15, Ezekiel 13, 15, Thus will I accomplish my wrath upon the wall and upon them that have daubed it with untempered mortar and will say unto you, The wall is no more, neither they that daubed it. Uh-oh. See, to me, this is a sign of real judgment that God, you know, I don't know how long those prophets in the days of Ezekiel were prophesying smooth things, seducing God's people, lying to them with vanities and divination. I don't know how long they were operating out of their own soul and imagination, but the time came where God said, I'm now going to get rid of them. Because God ultimately wants his people to open their eyes and not see whitewashed walls. He wants to take the whitewash away and show the reality of the condition that we are in. Because if we never recognize the condition that we are really in, how could we ever really begin to build a wall of salvation? So God says, I'm going to have to start doing away with some of these guys. And I'm going to show that their wall is not going to stand. Their words, that's the mortar. Their words are what whitewashes things. It's already begun, but they're still defending their position. It's already happened. They've been proven wrong, but they're not, they're not ready for that yet. So they're gonna, God's going to take it a step further. And this is Ezekiel, God, this, this is what God said he's going to do. In verse 16, he said, after that, to wit the prophets of Israel, which prophesy concerning Jerusalem 
and which see visions of peace for her, and there is no peace. God say, not until my people repent will there ever be peace. There's no peace for Israel. There's no peace for America. There's no peace. I don't care how much you cry, peace, peace. There's no peace. There's only one place to find peace. It's not in Donald Trump. It's not in American greatness. It's not in America. It's in Jesus Christ alone. The only way that you and I will ever know real peace is being in Christ's heart. Not one foot in and one foot out. Taking your entire life and integrating into Christ and Christ integrating into your heart. The only way to go out and enjoy an abundant life is to be in Christ. Whether you live in Mexico, whether you live in South America, whether you live in Europe, on the islands of the sea, whether you're in wherever, Asia, wherever you are in the world, who a human being, you don't need to be an American to have peace. You need to know Jesus. Be in him. Give your life to him. Isn't that what it's all about? He gave his life, so we give our lives back to him. He bought us. We're not our own. I can have an abundant life, a joy-filled life in Jesus Christ. I don't need Donald Trump. I don't need America because my citizenship is in heaven. Is that the truth? For you, for me, let's see. Verse 17, likewise, son of man, set your face. Okay, so I'm going to stop right there in verse 16. And I I just want to take this into a more serious note right now, okay? You know, oh, Pastor Vince, you read the Bible, and, and, you know, that's the scriptures, and wow, that's the word. Wait a second. Wait a second. A more serious note. This is really serious business right now. I tremble in my heart reading these things and putting myself inside of it as well because I believe what God is saying through Ezekiel, his prophet, I believe God is saying, the prophets of America, you're deceiving the people by the things that you're saying. Your words have become whitewash rather than exposing the cracks and showing their sin that created the cracks. And I think that's dangerous business. I think it's dangerous. I, I, I don't feel like you have to be a hellfire brimstone preacher. I don't believe in that. I mean, I've been preaching for 28 years. That's a small amount of time to a lot of people. I believe in balance. I believe that as, as dark as things can get, as bright as things can get. And as, as much as deception is growing, truth is growing. I believe in balance. I believe in it. So much as difficult days are, great days are. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Why? Because of Jesus Christ. Between my personal relationship with God Your personal relationship with God. Think about it. This life is between you and God. 
And the good thing about having uh, a, an ecclesia, a body of believers working together, is that we can rub each other. That's how God designed it. This isn't our design. God brings people together that are become like-minded, not just in doctrine, but in spirit, their hearts being knit together in love, but are students of the word of God, seekers of God. And if there's error somewhere, there, there's confrontation with that error, which is a good thing. And what I want to say to the men of God that are out there that are prophesying peace and safety to America is stop it. Lying to the people. Judgment is on this nation and it's on the church. Judgment begins in the house of God. Judgment is everywhere. And what judgment is always designed to do, as I said earlier, is to turn people back to God, but it also separates the wheat from the chaff, the sheep from the goats. It's all designed to bring separation. You, as an individual who has a personal relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, and have been baptized with the Holy Spirit and have the life-giving eternal spirit of God living in you, you are on a journey. And at the end of your journey, it's not going to be what church you went to, what group of people you were with. It's going to be how you live your life. It's not going to be whether you believed America was going to be great or it wasn't. It's going to be what you did with your life. How close did you get to the Father's heart? How near did you draw to him? How intimate was your personal relationship with him that brought forth conversation, we call it prayer, where you communed with God? And you you learned about Jesus, and you were inspired by Jesus, and you realized that he's the one that gives you an abundant life. Not Donald Trump, not America, not, not systems of government, but Jesus. And you are to be a light bearer, and you are to be a watchtower, and you are to be salt in the earth. And your life, everywhere you go in your sphere of influence, should be. To shine the light, Ephesians 5 says, have nothing to do with the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. You see, a lot of people today don't want to expose the darkness because they lose family, friends. They're, They're discarded. They're set aside. We don't want you on our team. Get out of here, you idiot. They suffer for doing what is right. But that's not who you are. I know who I'm talking to. I know I'm talking to people that are willing to suffer for doing what is right. I know that you have salt in your life. And I know that you have light and oil. You're a wise virgin. And in the darkest season, you're going to have light when nobody else does. You are preparing your ark. You know you're living in the end times. You know the tribulation is coming. You know that America is divided. You know it's going to collapse. You know that we have sinned grievously against the Lord. You know that there's blasphemy in Hollywood out of our, uh, out of, in this nation everywhere. You know that abomination runs rampant within our society. Liars and deceivers and corruptors are everywhere. You know that. 
You know that. And you're not going to stand by in light of that reality and say peace and safety, and you're not going to listen to it. But yet you personally have peace and safety in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. The congregation that you're connected to, your brothers and sisters, the family of God, you guys are working it out. You're helping each other move. You're giving. You're supplying. You're, 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 you're laboring. You're studying. You're connected. You're, you're learning. You're, you're just kind of you're like in the book of Acts when they were all, if Peter was in the word, looking, 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 sharing, breaking bread from house to house. You're seeing God's miracle. I mean, that's life. And wherever you go and do whatever you do, you have this strength and this energy, and you've learned to become stable. You're not, you're not unstable in an unstable world because you've built your life upon the words of God, and you're a doer of the word, and you do what is right. When no one's looking, you're there. You're doing what's right. You're drawing near to God. You're pressing in because you want to, because you love him, because you care about knowing, God, what do you want me to do today? You know, I'm not a preacher. I'm not on radio. I don't do podcasts. I'm just going to get up and go to work today or go shop. But yet you have relationship with God, which makes you more valuable. And you're just going, God, what do I do today? What, what am I, God, I want you to do through me today what you want to do. I want you to send me on assignment today. I want you to Show me who to preach to, who to share with, who to pray for, who to rebuke. Whatever it is, God, here I am. I'm a vessel bought and owned by you through your blood. And I don't want to entertain lies. I don't want to sit down and listen to lies, whether it's on television, through the movies, or it's through some prophet that's whitewashing the reality of the serious condition that we're in as a nation. All right, so uh, this is what I've said. I'm going to turn it over to you. If you have anything you'd like to share, the number to call is area code 818-369-0326. Can I give you a posture, probably the most realistic posture of what we really should be doing right now? Not really spiritual warfare. You know, that spiritual warfare is is a fight against the devil. I get that. And that's always right. But that's not really the posture. You can fight the devil all you want, but if there's sin in your life, what a vanity that is. What a vanity that is. What is the proper posture of the church today if we're going to really build a wall? Ecclesia in America is ever going to come together like in the days of Nehemiah when they joined each other shoulder to shoulder, and we're really ever going to build a real wall. And the true prophets are going to do this. They're going to build a real wall. Okay? What is the posture? Fighting the devil? Nope. Not in the first place. Not at this moment. It would be a vain thing to concentrate all energy on fighting the devil. I want to read it to you. It's in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, and you'll find it throughout the entire New Testament. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. It says this. This is the posture of the church. 
This is the posture, the proper posture. And here's what we read. It happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them, besides the Ammonites, came to battle against Jehoshaphat. All right, so you got a big army coming against Jehoshaphat and his people, Judah. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in Hazazan Tamar, which is in Gedi. They're coming. All right, Jehoshaphat would say, right, get your battle armors, get your sword on, put your armor on. We got to go to war. No, no. Verse 3, Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. See in the picture? Are you seeing, imagining this? A massive army is coming to destroy. The king fears. And he humbles himself before God, and he calls all the people together, and they fast. But listen to this. Here's what Jehoshaphat said. This is what the prophets ought to be prophesying today. This is the proper posture. O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven, and do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? And they dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. Don't go putting on your weapons of war yet, boys. Stand before God and cry out to God in mercy. Verse 10, and now here are the people of Ammon, Moab, Mount Sire, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are, rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us. Nor do we know what to do, but now our eyes are upon you. So what is this? You know, you get into the backdrop of Judah, and it doesn't look like they're committing acts of homosexuality, pedophilia, lesbianism, transgenderism, shedding innocent blood, worshiping idols, blaspheming God, and committing abomination throughout the land. We don't know. It doesn't really say that here. But what we do know is when the army was coming, when the enemy was coming, 
They gathered together. They fasted and they prayed. And the true leadership cried out to God for help. And if there was the gross sin that was being committed in the land as it is today, that same godly leadership would have called the nation to repentance. Josiah, one of the greatest reformers of all time, when he saw the law of the Lord, he ripped his clothes and said, no wonder why we're under such judgment. We've we've disobeyed the Lord. And he called the nation to repentance, not to stand up and fight against the devil, but to repentance. Now all Judah with their children, their little ones, their wives and their children stood before the Lord. Then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jeel, the son of Mattaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. So now comes a true prophetic word. Why? Because the posture of the nation, the posture of the leadership was humble contrition before God. That's the truth. And this is what the prophet said now that they humbled themselves, they cried out to God, they're asking for help. And he said, listen, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. Wow. I want God to fight my battles. How about you? How ridiculous would it be for me if I'm openly sinning against God and warfare is coming against my life and I strap on my armor and I go out to fight when my internal condition is corrupt? Do you think I'm going to win? No. The proper posture of the church right now is not to go to spiritual warfare. It's to go into repentance, to confess the sins of our nation to ask God to forgive us for our lightness, for our religious experience, for following a group and conforming to a group, for looking at the whitewash and saying that that's reality when it's not, believing lies. It's repentance, folks. And I don't know if it could even happen anymore. Why? There's no conviction left. Isaiah chapter 1 says, why am I going to punish you anymore? You'll only rebel more and more. The heart is hard through the deceitfulness of sin. And now the only thing that could possibly happen, if God stops reproving us, he turns us over to wrath until we're broken. The rest of the story is pretty awesome. I'm not going to read it. You can read the second Chronicles. But go out throughout the rest of the scripture when bad things were ready to happen to the nation of Israel. And there was godly leadership. They always cried for repentance. Then what God tells them to do, I should have kept reading it. Then God tells them, now go out to the battle. It's not going to be your battle. I'm going to fight the battle, but I want you to get your stuff on. I want you to ride out to the battle. Now that you've humbled yourself, now that you've bent your knee, now that you've confessed the sin, you stop seeing vanity and lies. You know the real critical thing that's coming. 
But I want you to go out and meet it now. And I'm going to show you how I am God. But you're not going to have to fight the battle. Oh, I got to read it. You don't mind if I read it, do you? I love this. So one more time, he says it this way. Here's what it actually says. You're not, uh, okay. So the battle is not yours but God's, verse uh, 14 or 16. Tomorrow, here's the instruction now. You always get good instruction after repentance. Go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz. I've actually been there, by the way. I sat there where Amos was from and from where this battle was being fought. And I could see the value that they came up was amazing when we were in Israel. And you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeru. You will not need to fight in this battle. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, posture. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them, for the Lord is with you. But you don't have to fight. You will not need to fight. Just go out. Well, that's going to take some faith, isn't it? And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. They bowed, humble, contrition. Then the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Kohathites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. Do you know what we should be doing right now? After humble contrition, humble repentance, begging God to forgive us for our sins. Now we stand up with an understanding the Lord's going to fight the battle. We should go into high praises. We really should be in high praise right now. So they rose up. Early in the morning, they went out into the wilderness of Tekoa, and as they went, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. Praise the Lord. Now, what prophet was Jaziel? When did he prophesy? When the nation repented when they called upon God, when they asked for help. Eight one eight three six nine zero three two six. Are we on target? Are we close? Let's listen to a couple of our friends here in the chat room, see where we are today. All right, so we're going to go back up here and say hello, hello, hello. If I can, I don't think I can. That's my problem here. All right, there you go. I want to say good morning to Kevin Hauger. God bless you, Kevin. I'm just going to say some names, and each one means a lot to us. God bless you. Uh, I see my brother Mark uh, from Mexico. Um, Cindy is out there today. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, Cindy. And good morning, Laquita. And good morning, Callie. Good morning, Melissa. Good morning, David Ellison. Good morning, Crystal Wingate. Good morning, Misty. Uh, Belongs to Jesus. Amen, Misty. I believe that. Good morning, Vinny Pots and Pans. Good morning, Nancy Honeycutt. God bless you, Miss Honeycutt. Mrs. Honeycutt, God bless you. And Kevin, we love you and miss you guys. Uh, good morning uh, to uh, 
Uh, we got some comments that came in. Uh, let's see. David Wilkerson made a major influence in my walk with Jesus in the 70s. Amen. Mine too. Uh, 100% agree. Thank you for that. Uh, Mark says he despises abortion. I agree. Uh, the word fetus in, is Latin for offspring. Very good, Mark. Here's that studying man again. All right. So, uh, all right. So we will, Mark, I will uh, try to email you. Um, would you please email me? And I'll make sure I get in contact with you. Uh, I see uh, Debbie Herndon is out there. Praise God for Debbie. I am royalty 777. America is Mystery Babylon, a.k.a. the daughter of Babylon. We're going to talk about that next week, no doubt, maybe even tomorrow. Um, uh, Misty says, going one step further, single moms being abused by their children. The sin is off the charts. Yeah, we agree to that. Brenda Palmer, good morning to you. Carol Carey, good morning from frozen Rona, Virginia. The good news, still have power. God is good. Amen. Stay warm. Stay tight. Texas Power Grid, turnoff is running the winter wheat crops, ruining the winter wheat crops. A loaf of bread, 100 bucks, biblical. Maybe so, Dave. It's on the way, isn't it? Um, Kevin says, many different ministers, preachers I have listened to from other suggestions have not had the spirit with them as I watch. Many times I need to turn them off for that reason. Yeah, it happens a lot down there. Mystery Babylon is the Vatican, Brother Mark says. Uh, see, again, uh, Kevin, many so-called prophets as well have lost their spiritual touch as well that I used to watch. Uh, Charles Eastridge says, amen. Good morning to you, Charles Eastridge. God bless you. Kenneth Bruns, walls and fences hold us in or out unless we're on the fence, but on the fence, we're still not free on going anywhere. All right, very good. Phil Buswell, the blame responsibility is on me. Saints, obey God. The devil did not make me do it. Amen to that. Praise the Lord. You know what? I've got time. I want to keep reading, but I have a brother calling in right now. Let's see if I can get him to speak loud and clear. Good morning, 916. You're on the air. God bless you. Good morning, Pastor Vincent. Well, good morning to you, sir. I'm hoping that you are being heard right now uh, by all of our friends on uh, Facebook and YouTube. But, Mark, God bless you. This is another Mark. We've got about uh, three minutes. What do you like to say this morning, sir? Well, you know, you made a comment about the hellfire and brimstone style of preaching. And it is true that when we had our birthday party for Pastor Patricia last week, I did stand up and refer to you, my brother, as a hellfire and brimstone style of preacher. Uh, okay. So I just, I just wanted to clarify what I meant by that. Um, I was definitely not attempting to stereotype, stereotype you, Pastor Vincent, not at all. Oh, I what did I was, that, Mark. Yeah. yeah, what I really meant was simply that um, I really, my wife and I both very much appreciate how a big focus of your ministry at New Wine is to help us to hold ourselves accountable to the Lord, to hold ourselves accountable to the Holy Spirit so that we can continue to dwell in the spirit in our hearts and walk in the spirit as opposed to walking in the flesh. Um, our background church-wise, you know, from California was that we really were not held accountable for walking in the flesh. We were kind of sort of dimly, gently, quietly, whispery, made aware of walking in the spirit. 
the concept of walking in the spirit, but it wasn't our pastors point home the way that you do. And when we're talking about your style of preaching, we're talking about you're making us aware of consequences, consequences for our behavior choices, consequences for our spiritual choices, our walking choices. Are we walking in the spirit or are we walking in the flesh? And God bless you, sir, for your ministry, how you do hold us accountable and you you encourage us to hold ourselves accountable to the Holy Spirit. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Well, very good, Mark. And by the way, thank you for those very kind words. I appreciate them. And know that in you and Cindy's life, there's promotion getting ready to happen, and promotion comes from the Lord. So stay the course. Get yourself ready, brother. God bless you, and thank you for calling in. I really do appreciate it. Have a blessed day. I appreciate it, Pastor. We love you very much. Have a great day. Love you too. Shalom. All right. That's it. Brother Mark was there. We're kind of running out of time. I want to say hello to Mark Hubert's with us. Chandra Ron. Ken Young has been with us. Megan Cotton has been with us. We love you guys. We'll see you tomorrow. This is Pastor Vince. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Time out. I may not see you tomorrow. I may not be able to make it, but I hopefully will. Okay. I'll see you when the Lord says to see you. Have a super blessed day. We love you. Remember, if you'd like to support this ministry at any level, with your prayers, please just pray. God, keep this ministry on the right track. Um, you have any questions, make sure you ask them, and um, we'll take it from there. If you'd like to support us financially, you could do that as well by going to nwmglobal.org. We'll see you tomorrow. Shalom.